What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Well, it's that time again. Time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Dr. Ross Green here, along with my co-host, Susie Porton, who is in upstate New York. I'm here in Portland, Maine, and through the magic of technology, we do this program every Monday morning, well, almost, uh, September through May, and... um, Susie, I counted. We only have three programs left, today included. Oh, no. And that includes today, because the fourth Monday of the month of May is Memorial Day here in the United States, and we won't be doing a program on that day. So if people want to call in, there's only three opportunities left, this being one of them, and that number is 347 nine nine four two nine eight one and make sure you press one so that we know that you're on the line. Susie, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Uh good. And we have had a um rash of a well a rush maybe it might be the best way to put it of email uh, come in over the last uh, week or so, and so we've got lots to cover today. But once again, the call-in number, 347-994-2981. Susie, anything on your mind today before we start um, making our way through the mailbag? Well, I just wanted to mention, are you hearing an echo? I am not. Okay, great. Um that tomorrow you will be doing a live webinar at 1 p.m. So people can listen or join in. It's on the uh, What's New section of Lives in Balance. Yes, it is, and there's a link for them to click on, and they can join in. You know, one of these days, Lives in the Balance is going to start sponsoring webinars. But in the meantime, it's Attitude Magazine that is sponsoring it. Um, And, um, you know, we need to put put it on our Facebook page as well, where it might actually be. And by the way, that's the other thing. Um, Our Facebook page, thanks to um, one of my associates, Kim Hopkins-Betts, has now become much more active and appealing, Um, and so if that's something that is of interest to uh, any of our listeners, um, that's um, something to look into as well, Um, and there's a link to that on the Lives in the Balance website as well. Uh, No calls yet, so shall we start uh, taking a look at the uh, mailbag? Sure. Here we go. Hello, Susie. 
It's an interesting one. It says, Hi, Dr. Green. I am troubled. Looking at the big picture, more and more children are being diagnosed with a range of disorders, medicated, transferred out of their school districts, etc., leaving the child and the family with no solutions or support, a lot of expensive treatments, and a lot of money out of each school district's pockets. My question, and I don't know where to direct it to, is that I'm wondering if we as a society could demand an assessment-type tool completed at home, at school, and by the pediatrician to give everyone that works with every child a definitive picture on the learning style of that child and their strengths and weaknesses in their executive skill functioning. Doing a lot of reading and learning about my own two children with huge deficits in the realm of executive functioning, it seems as if many diagnoses, like ADHD, bipolar disorder, conduct disorder, my guess is oppositional defiant disorder, you are right, uh, uh, autism spectrum disorders, all have a direct correlation in regards to deficits in executive functioning. With these cases growing in number exponentially every day, there has to be a way to define some of these deficits at their earliest stages and devise plans at home and at school to turn those deficits into strengths. I just wonder if we took that set of skills, which are needed for academics, relationships, self-image, emotional regulation, and followed each child in the school systems and gave them the extra help that they needed until they didn't need that help any longer, if there would be less academic failure, less disruption in classrooms, less anxiety, less diagnoses, less medication, less IEPs, less need for out-of-district transfers, etc., etc. I mean, if we found the money to put a plan like that in place and did the assessments and paid for training and extra bodies in schools to help those at risk, wouldn't we pay less in disability and unemployment and the criminal justice system in the long run as these children become adults. We are on the brink of a change in the way mental health is looked at, hopefully, and I just wonder who can help with this type of dilemma. Uh, I will look for your response in the In the Trenches section. Actually, you're getting it in the radio program section of the website and hope that if you can't answer that question, maybe you can direct me to someone who can. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your email. It's um, spot on. Um, one of the things uh, that I would say is most troubling is that in our society and many others, we tend, tend, not always, but tend to wait until things are really bad before we do anything about it. Um, and there's a, a parable that I've been reading in some of my workshops lately and that I think got posted on our Facebook page about the difference between intervening upstream, which is what uh, our emailer is emailing about, versus intervening downstream when things are already bad. And unfortunately, the setup is one in which we intervene in this society a good part of the time when things are really bad. But by the time things are really bad, this is a tougher and much more expensive fix. So there is no question that if we were assessing and intervening earlier for the kids who are most at risk in our society, um, I think there's no question but that we would be not only saving a lot of money, but saving a lot of kids. We are trying to do something like that in the state of Maine. 
we are hoping for funding to do something like that in the state of Maine. I must say we are not exclusively focused on executive skills because there are other skills that could be coming into play, not just executive, although I would say that uh, if somebody twisted my arm behind my back and said pick one realm of skills, it probably would be executive. But there are other skills that we want to assess. And I must say, the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems that we use in the CPS model is a very nice screening tool. It's also very fast. But here's the deal. I don't think we're going to be screening everybody. And then the big question becomes, do we need to be screening everybody, or do we just need to be better at red flagging the kids who we think are going to be at greatest risk because I think the research tells us who's going to be at greatest risk. And whoever's left that slips through the cracks and is demonstrating that they are starting to have difficulty meeting the demands and expectations that the world is placing upon them as early on as possible, sometimes at birth, sometimes before the kid is born. We know this is going just because of what's going on. Before the kid pops out, just because of the situation, we know that this is an at-risk infant. We know. And we're not going to be testing executive skills then, but we can be red-flagging kids who we know are at very high risk, sometimes before they even pop out. So whether it needs to be solely executive and whether it needs to be everybody, those are interesting discussion points, but there is no question we should be red flagging kids upstream, not waiting until they get downstream. And then I can just tell you what I've learned in my experiences in dealing with government and bureaucracies. Um, the next hard part is getting everybody to work together on behalf of the kid because often multiple agencies are involved with the same at-risk kids. The communication is frequently, not always, but frequently very poor. The left arm frequently doesn't know what the right arm is doing. Often it's not that these kids aren't getting enough help. It's that the help is highly disparate. The parents are getting all kinds of different advice from all kinds of different people, it's not coordinated. It's not exactly clear whose job is what. It's a mess. And a lot of kids are slipping through the cracks because it's a mess. Intervening upstream would fix some of the mess, but coordinating the effort and get the folks who get the kid once we realize that something's not going well, that's another part of the mess. And then there's just one more part, spending the money on upstream rather than downstream. Those are my thoughts. Susie, I bet you have some. Well, the beauty of the model is that you can start at a very early age. And so we're talking about early intervention. Um, and it And... The model is proactive, crisis prevention, and 
by starting at an early age, your list of unsolved problems is smaller. Um, this isn't and, to say... Oh, go ahead, sorry. No, I was just going to also say that the model always gives us hope that things will get better. This isn't to say that there aren't pockets of the right thing being done. Um, There's pockets of the right thing being done, and there are people who are, especially privately, devoting substantial amounts of money to help kids who are at very high risk, even in infancy, um, get what they need. Often what they get after they get what they need isn't sufficient. So what I often talk about are points of vulnerability um, at which um, kids could slip through the cracks. There's many points of vulnerability throughout development at which kids could slip through the cracks. And what's great is here in the United States and in Canada, there are programs that are what I call microcosms of good that are helping and doing the right thing at certain points in development, certain points of vulnerability in certain places, just not enough places. And sometimes even after we help a kid through one point of vulnerability, there's nothing for him or her at the next point of vulnerability, and they slip through the cracks anyways. Um, It's a mess, but there are some people out there who are trying to do something about it. Lives in the Balance is among the many. Um, I think it can be fixed, but um, boy, it's going to take a lot to turn that around. And so our emailer is noticing something um, and is spot on about it, Um, but it's really hard to fix because there are so many systemic issues that um, need to be fixed for it to be fixed. Um, We're focused on it. It's just hard to do. Thank you for your email, though. Susie, any more thoughts on that? Uh, No. We still have no callers, so here's another interesting one. My wife and I disagree on how to help our 10-year-old son with explosions, inflexibility, irritability, and perspective-taking. He takes a slew of medicine, but the right combination has not been found. Our health insurance pays for at-home applied behavior analysis services for approximately 12 hours per week. At a recent meeting with the ABA team, my wife supported the team's plan to implement more of a traditional ABA therapy so our son would learn the consequence of his behavior. I think that this will increase explosions significantly. My wife agrees but concludes that he will eventually learn. How, in capital letters with a question mark, I made an unpersuasive analogy that I could rub two sticks together and make a fire 20% of the time, but my success rate does not magically evolve to 80% if you give me a cookie or take away food and water. I do not know how to make a fire. I luck out occasionally, but I do not have the skill to make a fire when I want. How does attaching a consequence to my failure help me to make a fire? I fail to see the benefit of ABA. 
and shudder to think about my son's frustration when the iPad is taken from him when he refuses to exercise or brush his teeth, etc. How do I stop the madness? With four question marks at the end of the sentence. Susie, you want to take a crack at that one or you want me to? Sure, I'll try. It's very difficult when the parents have different um, child-rearing philosophies. And it seems like the father has the right lenses on um, and seeing that his son is lagging skills. Um, you know, all the diagnoses are helpful to get the services that they need, but it pathologizes the child, and it doesn't really give you the information that you need. Um, It's more of a family problem. And they need to work together, not doing something at their child, but doing something with them. And lagging skills, unsolved problems, um, and plan B, help. Well, and we don't want to disparage ABA. And for those who are not familiar, applied behavior analysis actually refers to a wide range of interventions, many of which are oriented toward um, what we might call the traditional approach to behavior management, rewarding the behaviors that we want to see more of, and punishing the ones that we want to see less of. Um, And that form of treatment is a well-established, empirically supported treatment. And so we would not be on very solid ground if we were to say, and neither of us would say this, that ABA doesn't work. But we really need to give thought to what each individual kid needs, and we need to give a great deal of thought to what we think is getting in the way of a particular kid meeting our expectations. And my belief has always been that motivational strategies, and that's what rewarding and punishing are, motivational strategies are best matched, and that's what we're really talking about here, is matching intervention to the needs of a particular kid, not simply slapping the same template on every kid who's having difficulty meeting our expectations because different kids have difficulty meeting expectations for completely different reasons. Um, If we believe that a kid is not motivated to meet our expectations, then motivational strategies would make perfect sense. If we believe a kid does not know what our expectations are, then making sure that our expectations are crystal clear would make perfect sense. 
if we believe a, that a kid does not know how to perform the behaviors that we would very much like him to be performing, then modeling those behaviors makes perfect sense. But if we believe that the reason a kid is having difficulty meeting our expectations is because he has lagging skills, and if we believe that there are factors that we do not yet understand that are getting in the way of him... Whoops, there I go again. If we believe that there are things that are getting in the kid's way that the kid could inform us about, um, then I don't think a motivational program or simply making our expectations clear or modeling the behavior we want to see more of is going to get the job done. And there's no question the traditional approach is and has been quite popular for a very long time, and some kids have benefited from it but many have not. And one thing's for sure, if you apply an intervention that isn't well-matched to what somebody needs, and we're not just talking about psychosocial treatment here, we're talking about cancer treatment and antibiotics and headaches and you name it, then not only will things probably not get better, they could get worse. If we continue to apply interventions to kids, when it's not what they need and it isn't well-matched to what's really getting in their way, they also start to lose hope. They start to think that we don't get it. They start to think we'll never get it, and some of those kids get mad, act out even more, start fighting back. We don't want that to happen. So while we'd never want to say that the treatments that are applied to within ABA don't work. The research would tell us otherwise. Just because they work with some kids doesn't mean they work with all kids, and we need to be open to the possibility that what a kid needs is not ABA. If we think this is about lagging skills and unsolved problems, uh, I'm probably not using ABA. I'm probably using collaborative and proactive solutions. The problem out there, of course, is that many people still have old lenses on, and therefore, and they use those lenses on every kid who's having difficulty meeting expectations. And of course, one of the big goals of Lives in the Balance is to make sure that everybody knows what the research tells us is getting in the way for behaviorally challenging kids so that we are not simply slapping a certain template on every one of them, but are sensitive to the possibility that some of them may need one thing, while others may need another. As it relates to our emailer, well, um, the fact that the child is on a slew of medications and the right combination has not yet been found and that, um, well, if things are still not going well with 12 hours per week of ABA services, and by the way, 12 hours per week of ABA services is a significant amount of ABA services, a significant amount of in-home services, 
that tells me that this is a difficult situation and maybe a complicated one too. And so I don't want to go too far in saying what your 10-year-old son needs and does not need because neither Susie nor I has any familiarity with your specific situation. All I can really say is that's a lot of intervention. If it's not yet working, it might be time for some new lenses and some fresh thinking on what your 10-year-old son really needs. How do you stop the madness? You see if the ABA folks are open to some new ideas. And by the way, this following thought should help. There are many, the ABA folks are not all the same. Uh, just because somebody identifies themselves as ABA does not mean that they think just like every other ABA therapist thinks. I've had ABA therapists tell me that the CPS model, the one this program is about, fits perfectly within ABA. That said, I've had many ABA therapists also say to me that this is uh, not consistent with ABA at all. So just because somebody is identifying themselves as an ABA therapist does not mean that CPS won't make sense to them. You're welcome to call into the program and let us know how it goes when you try to convince the ABA therapist you've got that you'd like to try some new thinking on and some new interventions with your 10-year-old son. Susie, any final thoughts before we uh, move on to another email? I just wanted to say that I, too, was thinking that the ABA Mm -hmm. therapy was not going well, so why not try a new Mm -hmm. approach? Um, I remember Mm -hmm. our son was a little bit older, and um, it was a difficult, complicated situation. My husband was not yet enlightened by the collaborative and proactive solutions approach. So something had happened, and my husband thought that we should be harder on our son and impose a consequence, which only... Resulted in our son refusing to take his medicine for five days. That was just my experience. Got it. Shall we move on to another? We still have no callers today. Let me give the phone number one more time, 347-994-2981. Here's another. And this is a question we answer frequently, but that's okay. We uh, are not allergic to repetition on this program. In fact, repetition is a good thing. Here it is. After reading your book and reviewing your materials on the website, I am still confused about your approach for addressing the various lagging skills that a child may have. seems there should be an approach to partner with and teach the child the skills they are lacking. Uh, that's the question. And the answer is the following. 
there are some skills that you would teach explicitly or directly. Often, those are language processing and some social skills. But what the research tells us, both my anecdotal experience and the research that's coming out of the five-year NIMH-funded study on collaborative and proactive solutions that has now been completed at the Virginia Tech Child Study Center. And boy, are the data from that study exciting. Um, uh, and you can read uh, some of the papers from that study in the Research Etc. section on the Lives in the Balance website. But what the... That was a very long-winded way for me to get to the sentence I was trying to say. Um, what the data tell us and what I have been seeing anecdotally for years now is that you are teaching skills when you are solving problems collaboratively and proactively. When you're solving problems collaboratively and proactively, you are simultaneously teaching the kid the skills he or she is lacking. That's because, um, number one, the unsolved problem that you're working on in any particular plan B um, is the byproduct of lagging skills. So if you are solving that problem, you are presumably working also, but indirectly, on the lagging skill that gave rise to that problem. But also, each of the three steps of plan B is a very good way to help a kid practice and learn the skills that they are lacking because each step requires certain skills. Um, I'll give you the short list, identifying and articulating their concerns, uh, clarifying their concerns, expressing their concerns in a way that other people can hear, taking another person's perspective, um, being able to listen to another person's concerns, generating alternative solutions, um, generating solutions that will take another person's concerns into account, um, thinking about those solutions and how they'll pan out. Uh, that's the short list. What was I just naming? A bunch of the lagging skills that people will find on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. So, both because unsolved problems are the byproduct of lagging skills, but also because doing Plan B helps kids practice the skills they are lacking. You're teaching skills when you're solving problems collaboratively, just indirectly. Susie, anything to add to that before we move on? Just that each step requires, like you said, certain skills, and using the CPS approach develops a relationship with your child. Shall we move on to another email? Great. Here we go. I have recently read Dr. Green's book and am very excited to implement this approach with my daughter. She is 11 years old and has been given every diagnosis under the sun. Traditional rewards and punishments have not worked, and now I know why. i got to make an editorial comment here. 
What does this tell us? Um, because I get emails like this routinely, many a week. It tells us that traditional rewards and punishments don't work for every kid and that many of the kids who are behaviorally challenging are getting every diagnosis under the sun and that those two things, diagnoses and rewarding and punishing, aren't getting the job done for a whole bunch of kids out there. All right, I'll keep going. She has had many inpatient hospitalizations and has even been in residential treatment for 10 months last year. Um, I have two separate issues I am dealing with. The first is that my ex-husband and I do not agree on how to parent our daughter. That seems to be one of our themes for today. I have always taken a more nurturing way as far as trying to understand how she feels, what upsets her, etc., but he is former military and a very much an authoritative parent. I say jump, you say how high. We have been divorced for almost five years and both of us are remarried. My new husband and I are very much on board with what your program teaches, but I don't know how to get the ex on board. He always wants to go against what I say or think. He did this while we were married, and he continues to do this. My second issue is that my daughter is manageable at home, but not manageable at school. We are called to the school three to four times per week due to her fits. She hits, kicks, bites, screams, flees, curses, etc. All this is aimed at the school staff. Resource officers are called. They've had to handcuff her several times and shackle her feet. This is getting worse and worse. I work and so does her father. She says she wants us to lose our jobs so that she can stay home. The school, as well as my ex, feels like her behavior is very purposeful in getting her what she wants. They feel like she is completely manipulating everyone in order to go home. However, I am asking them to look deeper. What is it about school that frustrates her so much that she'd rather not be there? We have done the sticker charts, the rewards for good behavior, the consequences for poor behavior, taking things away, etc. Nothing has worked to this point because I feel she is completely frustrated. The school has suggested homebound schooling. I have offered for my ex to speak to my job about working from home so that I could be home with her, but he says this is just giving in to what she wants, so she wins. The way I see it, school is frustrating to her, and that may not be the best atmosphere for her to learn. I feel like I am banging my head against a wall, and to top it off, my daughter has horrible self-esteem. Yesterday, while cleaning her room, I found some of her writings that we talked about, how she is an invisible girl, uh, no one sees me, etc., I feel this is her heart crying out for someone to take notice and to help her. She's made self-harming statements and has said she thinks about ending her life sometimes. This is an 11-year-old. My heart is crushed for her and I desperately want to help her. But I need everyone on board. Any help and advice you can offer will be so greatly appreciated. Well, let's see how we can do, but this is a complex situation. And the first thing I need to do is say is, is say what I always say, and that is that um, since we don't know you and your daughter and your ex-husband and the school, um, the best we can do is give advice for how the model can be implemented and maybe help you think about how you might be able to get everybody on board. But those are kind of the limits of doing a program like this because 
excuse me, we don't know your daughter or anybody else. What I will also say um, is that we believe that her self-harming statements, uh, we want to be careful about those. Um, so what I haven't heard in this email is that you have anybody helping you out. And given the complexity of your situation, we want to have somebody helping you out, I think. It sounds to me like you're trying to do this all on your own. And that comes to me not only because your daughter is making self-harming statements, which we need to take very seriously and make sure that she doesn't hurt herself. And that means we need somebody aware of the health self-harming statements so that they can be evaluated um, and so that your daughter can be kept safe. And worst case scenario, that's a hospital emergency room under acute circumstances. But best case scenario, that would be someone who is helping you so that you're not doing this all on your own, help you, your ex-husband, and the school get on the same page. Now, on the CPS Connection website, there are people who, have, who I've trained to implement the CPS model. They are in the providers section. Um, and hopefully, since I don't know where you live, there is somebody in your area who can help you. And it's organized geographically, United States and Canada and England and Sweden. There will soon also be Norway and Denmark and soon Holland and soon Australia. I do get around. Um, but we've got an 11-year-old here who is struggling and in pain. Um, to view it as manipulative would not be my first take on it. It also wouldn't be my 50th take on it. But there is a tremendous need here for us to start at the beginning. And that means getting everybody on board. I don't think we're going to help your daughter with her self-esteem or with her self-harming statements or with what's going on in school until people are seeing her through a shared set of lenses. And in this model, the one we talk about on this program, that shared lens, that shared view, is facilitated by one single-sided, single sheet of paper called the Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems. Now, of all the wonderful things I would say about that single-sided, single sheet of paper, and you can find it on the Lives in a Balance website in the paperwork section, and you can find a recording on how to use it in the guided tour for parents and educators um, that there's now a link to on the home page of the Lives in a Balance website. It's one of the quick links now. There's a recording for how to use it. In this model... We use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems to help us figure out what are this kid's lagging skills and what unsolved problems are being caused by those lagging skills. The lagging skills are the big picture. The unsolved problems are what we're going to be working on with the child. And here's the nice part. When we get people in a meeting together, ex-husbands and teachers and staff who are working in a kid's household and um, staff on inpatient psychiatry units and staff in prisons and you name it. 
They leave that meeting having now participated in that process of identifying lagging skills and unsolved problems. They leave that meeting now fully appreciative of the fact that this kid has lagging skills. And now their new language is starting to develop. No longer, and we're not saying it's manipulative anymore. We're saying it's this lagging skill or this other lagging skill. This kid has difficulty um, shifting from one mindset or task to another and making transitions. This kid is having difficulty expressing her needs, thoughts, concerns in words. This kid is having difficulty shifting off of her original idea or solution, difficulty appreciating situational factors that might necessitate an adjustment and a plan of action. You put people in the same room together with a blank copy of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems in front of them, and you engage them in a discussion for 50 to 60 minutes about a particular kid's lagging skills and the problems that are being caused by those lagging skills, they come around. They figure it out. This kid is lacking skills. Those are the new lenses. And here are the problems we could be busy solving with that kid. One thing I can pretty much guarantee, this 11-year-old girl has a, as, as practically every kid who is described this way, this 11-year-old girl has a lot of unsolved problems problems that have yet to be solved, problems that are waiting to be solved. And if all we do is say she's manipulative, we'll never get there. Susie, your thoughts? I would buy a few copies of your book, Lost at School, and give one to the ex-husband, as well as people at school. Um, I just lost my train of thought. You were saying Um, that people should get lost at school and read it. Yeah. And somehow, by reading the book, I think that'll help the husband get the right lenses on. I would also pick up a copy of The Adventures, Stretch More, and read that book that you wrote with her 11-year-old daughter. Um, And to make a meeting either with the guidance counselor, social work, or principal at the daughter's school with a blank copy of the Alpha um, is a good beginning. Um, our hearts go out to you, your daughter, the folks at school, your ex-husband. Um, we're going to operate on the assumption that everyone has the best intentions and really wants to help. I always operate on those assumptions. Um but it sounds like you've got a daughter who's really struggling and like some new lenses and a new approach might be really helpful. Um, I hope that single-sided, single sheet of paper does some blocking for you. And we wish you the best of luck. 
Well, now, Susie, we do not. We have a minute and a half left, but we do a minute and a half is not enough time to uh, answer any of our other emails. Every time we try, we feel like we haven't done a good job on them. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's it for emails for today. Any final thoughts before we call it a day? Uh, just that I was talking to a mom a few weeks ago, and she was telling me how her kids are always fighting and complaining about who does the dishes and who takes out the trash and other family chores. Both kids were saying it's unfair. I suggested to the mom that she have what was essentially a plan B conversation. I suggested that she make a separate appointment in a calm time with each child and find out about her kids' concerns regarding this specific unsolved problem. Then she could put her concerns on the table and lastly invite the kids to come up with a solution that is mutually satisfactory and addresses both parties' concerns. The mom came back last week thrilled because they had worked out a solution where they had a chore chart and the kids weren't fighting about having to do stuff because they knew in advance what they had to do. Dr. Green, it was a great example of how the plan... A very nice way to finish up the program. Only two left, Susie. One of them next week. Okay. Take care. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.